Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Some of these Pop-Tart takes are psychotic. I mean, at the risk of blowing the entire FanDuel deal we have, Pop-Tart Bowl's going on as we're live right now, and the FanDuel official Twitter slash X account just declares s'mores? S'mores? The best Pop-Tart flavor of all time? As the leader of the Blueberry contingent, not only is it debatable, I think it's a runaway in the other direction. A lot of people are outing themselves... A lot of people are outing themselves in our community when it comes to their Pop-Tart takes this time of year. We're jam-packed, high atop a very active downtown Nashville, Tennessee, Thursday night, December 28th, the year of our Lord for the last time, 2023. Last live show of the year. I've got uh, playoff thoughts for every team, all four of them, also for the last time. In the playoff, I have got several things to say about Miami. Uh, Hoomst just fell in defeat to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights in uh, whatever bowl they played early this afternoon. I've also got some thoughts on FSU's future because you and I have not really spoken face-to-face since that whole board of trustees, are we or aren't we going to get out of the ACC grant of rights deal? Yep, as the future of this sport goes, so too will go Florida State. I think those things are going hand-in-hand. And I've got several bad predictions and good predictions, and I've got radical opinions. I stumbled upon this one that I think is going to be a money segment for us for weeks to come. And I just asked you guys the other day, what is your most radical college football opinion? And you delivered. I got one you're not ready for. Like, I dropped it on a few people the other day, and they two of them haven't spoken to me since then. One of them, it's kind of a probationary period. So I've got one I don't think the college football world's ready for yet. I'm not sharing it with you tonight, and I've never even broached it. So you would never guess what it is. I told Jesse, even Jesse rolled his eyes. But you've got some good ones, and we're going to dive into them tonight. Uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey is tuned in. Roswell, Georgia is tuned in. Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, where I was over Christmas break, among other places on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. They are all tuned in tonight. We are flying to Los Angeles tomorrow, and we will be on the field 
for the Rose Bowl next Monday night. I'll probably have you some coverage from out there. No live show Sunday night. I will have you coverage from out there in some shape, form, or fashion. You need to make sure you're following on the socials. At Late Kick Josh. I expect the Instagram story to be a buzz because I need you to understand something. We're going to be on the field. We're going to be on the sideline for the Rose Bowl Monday night. Access. That's what I'm going to bring you. That's what we get. We are blessed enough to get that as a show. As a people, we are blessed enough to get that. I will share as much as I can. The Rose Bowl is a fantastic facility. Some people hate on it. Those people are very casual-minded when it comes to the Rose Bowl. But I will, I will take you in and around, and I will let you see as much as we could possibly let you see. Okay, so that's Monday night. Until then... There are big stakes, obviously, for all the teams in the college football playoff, but it's really different for these four teams. So think about Texas, first off. I was doing Next Round Live in Birmingham this morning with our buddies, and we were talking about Sark, and Jim Dunaway asked me, do you you think you should take the Washington and USC tenures for Steve Sarkeesian into account when you judge him as a head coach, or should you just wipe all that from memory and just go with what he's done at Texas? And I am of the belief that it's all wrapped into one great big ball. But you see, you can't tell the Steve Sarkeesian story and you can't tell the Texas story without looking at his past failures, if you want to call them that. I would call them learning experiences. And he's had several of them. And so uh, the reason that I am always hopeful when a new head coach gets another opportunity like Sark did at Texas is sometimes guys learn from the past. Sometimes in life, maybe you got fired Um, you know, as as a foreman working for a construction company because you mismanaged your crews and then some other company gives you another shot and all of a sudden you don't manage your crews the same way. Why not? Why wouldn't you just do exactly what you did beforehand? Well, that's what got you fired. You know, and so maybe, just maybe, you take a little different approach, have a little different tact, and who knows, maybe you'll thread the needle and it'll work second time around. Well, that's what Sark's done. Sark's not doing it at Texas the exact same way they did it at Washington or he did it at USC. He made a pit stop in Tuscaloosa, Alabama and learned from the best to ever do it in many opinions, mine included. And now Texas is in the playoff. I am going to say something that's probably the most obvious statement in the history of this show. It would greatly behoove Steve Sarkeesian in Texas to win a national championship here. Like I said, probably the most obvious statement we'll make all night. What I'm thinking about, though, is the future. And I'm thinking about how Texas has got a golden opportunity here. They're favored by four and a half against Washington. And if they punch their ticket to the national title game, it's in Houston. So their their semifinal is New Orleans, and their title game is in Houston. Geographically, you'll never have a better setup for the University of Texas. You've also got an opportunity here to maybe play one team you're favored against, and then maybe you play another team that you either out-athlete a little bit, or you play a team that you already beat by double digits in their building this year. And in the future, you'll have to navigate an entire SEC schedule and make it through an expanded playoff, and it's just it's a bigger crapshoot in the future. So you've got it in the here and now in front of you, and also, like, I was thinking about Jimbo Fisher earlier this morning, and I was thinking about how much that title win in 2013 helped Jimbo navigate what would otherwise have been very, very loud criticism on down the line in his career. Now, eventually he got fired, but it took until 2023 for him to get fired because he rode the wave of being national championship winning head coach Jimbo Fisher for a long time. I'm certainly not saying Sark's going to go that route. What I am saying is that's proof positive of the equity that winning a national championship buys you as a head coach. So you never know when you're going to need it is the point or how many times you're going to need it. So that's what I'm thinking about with Texas. With Washington, 
they don't know you. They don't. I know I've had a, a checkered past this year with Washington fans, and I just want to take this opportunity to remind you guys, it's not my fault. It was all the JP poll. It's all the model. And uh, that's the end of that when it comes to blame, which I accept none of. I have no plans to apologize. However, I do want to say, at least I've watched Washington this year. I went to two Washington games. I've watched most Washington games wire to wire. Most of the country has not. I think you guys know that. And so you've been tucked away in the Pacific Northwest there. It's your last year in a dying conference. And you've been winning games, but you've been doing it in, I would say, an anonymous fashion when it comes to the national scene. The numbers on Washington games bear that out. I couldn't care less about TV ratings, but in this particular point I'm trying to make, they do have some validity. So this isn't a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. What I'm saying and what I'm thinking about Washington as they go into the playoffs is most of the country still doesn't even know who you are. And so most of the country, I'm telling you this is coming, is going to equate you to last year's TCU. You're purple. And that's about all they'll need. And they think you're the fourth best team in this thing. And they are going to think to themselves, there will be a sizable talent mismatch on the field Monday night in New Orleans. And it's up to you to prove them wrong. Now, I've watched Washington's receivers up close. They don't take a backseat to anyone. Washington's offensive line was the best in the country this year. They just won the Joe Moore Award. Washington does not take a backseat in terms of physicality, along the lines of scrimmage, to anyone I watched him play this year. And you know what else? On paper, and this stuff right here, it should have happened multiple times. It should have happened against Oregon both times, and it didn't. It didn't surprise me. I picked Oregon to win both those games. So I was wrong. I've been wrong multiple times about Washington this year. And I picked Texas to win this game. I just don't have any confidence in the pick. I think there are several portions of this matchup that favor Washington. Be that as it may, okay, I've got very low confidence in the pick itself. Just the game and how it's going to play out, I'm telling you, most folks have not watched a whole lot of Washington football this year, even some people who are pretty diehard college football fans. And so there is, there is a belief about that team that they're a second-class citizen in many categories, including talent. Uh, most people don't even know how to spell Kalen DeBoer, much less explain much about him as a coach. You've just got to prove them wrong. You've been doing it all year. I mean, that's, that's the script for Washington. It's pretty simple. Michigan. <laughs> Apparently, I've missed a couple of immunities in the show already. And it's not that I missed them, guys. It's not that I missed them. I'm just trying to be a more professional host in 2024. But it's still 2023. So immunity all day. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, do not worry about it. It's an inside joke amongst us here at Pate State. And I'll probably explain it at some point down the road. Michigan's got more pressure on them than any team in these playoffs. I don't think I've ever said that about an Alabama opponent before. I'll get to Bama in a second. But Michigan has been here, and they've been here several times at this point. So think about the, uh, the perspective, if you will, of a Michigan fan right now. Michigan did not enter this year wondering if they could beat Ohio State. They'd already done it two years in a row. Boom, check. Third time in a row. It's become second nature to them now. They didn't enter this season wondering if, if we could win the Big Ten. First off, they knew if they beat Ohio State, that was a foregone conclusion. The next step was a much easier step, and that's winning the Big Ten. They've done it a couple of years in a row now. Check. Again, they did it. The question wasn't, could we get to the playoff? 
The question is, can we do anything once we get there? The question is, can Jim Harbaugh improve on this horrendous bowl record he has, period? Um, Can we as an organization, can we as a program win a playoff game, get to a national championship, win the national championship? Michigan's got to win a national championship this year. It feels a lot like it's a do-or-die situation for them as an organization. What I'm not trying to tell you is this is the closing of the Michigan window and they'll never be back and they won't be a valid threat. They will absolutely be a valid threat. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm saying is um, in the future, it'll be a much different version. So I think of this Michigan team as a team whose nucleus is largely intact from a couple of years ago when they first made a run in the playoff and they first beat Ohio State, won the Big Ten, went to the Orange Bowl, I think it was. And a lot of those guys who were young are older now. And Jim Harbaugh's still there. Will that or won't that be the case in the future? I don't know. It's, it's kind of last dance-ish in terms of feel. But if they don't win the national championship, if they don't at the very least make it to the national championship game, uh, the season is a failure for them. I've never spoken that way about Michigan. But then again, Harbaugh hasn't had them as a program to this point. This is the first time they've ever been at this altitude to where you can honestly say, All we did was beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten. We didn't do anything more than that again? Like, that's a real first-world attitude to have. It's a real privileged attitude to have, but it's a a privilege to have that attitude. That means you're winning a lot. Michigan's got more pressure on them than anyone because unlike Texas, unlike Alabama, I have not gotten to the point where I just assume, and I, I shouldn't include Texas there, I'll grant you that, unlike Alabama and unlike Georgia, I have not gotten to the point where I just assume Michigan's going to do this every single year. Now, I know that may be stubbornness on my part, and maybe they just settled into a a groove in the Big Ten that will indefinitely have them at the head table come playoff time. Maybe. Um, I'm still in the remains-to-be-seen camp on that front. So I think they need it more than anyone here. And as for their opponent, as for Alabama, again, my feel on Alabama is one I've never had with them going into the playoffs. We've seen them in the playoffs. We've seen them in a national title game several times. I have never felt like Alabama's the team playing with house money. I've never felt like they'll be the loose team, the the nothing-to-lose team. Now, nothing-to-lose is always a dumb thing to say when you're in the playoffs because you have everything to lose. Both teams have everything to lose. But you can always tell, like Dabo's Clemson teams, when they made their trip the first couple of times, they played like that. They played with their hair on fire. They played loose. They played like folks doubted them, and that was because they had been indoctrinated to think that they had no shot. Uh, Whatever, it worked. Bama kind of feels that way because they got written off by virtually everyone after week three, and with good reason. I didn't because I was chained to a national championship pick, so I couldn't get out. But a lot of you bailed on Alabama, and they heard it. And they internally were a mess. I mean, Bill Rowe was benched in week three. Benched. He was benched. That's the non-regional dialect they taught me at Columbus State University. He was benched in week three. And now, here he is. Here he is calling out Bill O'Brien earlier today. <laughs> if you missed that, uh, Jalen Milrow had himself a press conference in Los Angeles earlier today. They asked him about, you know, the challenges and whatnot and what were some tough moments in his career and he just flat out threw Bill O'Brien under the bus one final time and trust me that bus has gone forward and reverse forward and reverse in Tuscaloosa a bunch I said Bill O'Brien told him you probably shouldn't play quarterback man 
But, yeah, uh, not, no one was surprised by that. Bill O'Brien is the gift that just keeps on taking from Alabama football. He's not even there. He hasn't been there in months. And, and still, you occasionally just get that shot to the ribs. Oh, who was that? That was Bill O'Brien again. And so Jalen Milrow has got his shot to win a championship. Now, Nick Saban got this team to the doorstep of being able to win a national championship. And almost no one thought that was possible back in week three. My point is, you don't ever feel that way about them. You don't ever call Alabama's opponent as being the one with the most pressure on them. It's always Bama with the pressure. It just feels like a different kind of team. Now, it feels like a team that found itself. Like, uh, you remember that A&M game? You remember when I told you, if you don't like them, if you don't like Bama, you need A&M to knock them off. Because if they don't lose this game... I have a feeling they may not lose again, which we'll see. Reigns to be seen. But they, they got by AM, had a miracle they needed against Auburn. So, so that prediction almost fell flat as well. But you saw what they could do when they clicked against Georgia. And uh, I, would ima- I would argue their best football still in front of them. And if they break it out in the playoffs, they'll win the national title. That's pretty cut and dry to me. Uh, but that's why we're going to play the games. Because Michigan's got a lot to say about that. Texas or Washington would have a lot to say about that. But I'm excited, man. I'm excited because I think if you look at the four teams in the field, you could make the argument that it's the most competitive four-team field that we've had maybe since the inception of the playoff. Maybe. Uh, uh, that's, That's an opinion more so than a statement of fact. All right, let's move on. Colin, I gave you a momentary pause there so you could cut it in in post-editing. No, uh, excuse me, I can't say the name of that company. No chalice with choice liquid in it tonight. It's going to sit over here, but it's decorative. I'm just going straight coffee tonight, and we'll see. We'll see. I have some ideas about beverages on the desk for 2024. I hope you're listening, beverage companies. But in the meantime, this nondescript no name brand coffee that tastes like it's been filtered through a jockstrap will be my beverage of choice this evening. So, we're doing the show live. It's Thursday night. Some games happened today. Colin, here's your end point. Miami had a bowl game today, unfortunately for them. And Rutgers uh, came out victorious. The fighting Lance Waynes up there came out victorious. Congratulations. And that concludes our Rutgers coverage. I mean, in all sincerity. Now, Greg Schiano's done a great job there, but that's not what I got asked about. Colin, here is... um, what I got asked about in droves after the game. Jared is just the question we picked. Jared hit me up and said, honest question, are you still high on Miami and their future with Mario? Well, my answer, Jared, is yes, I am. Yes, I am. I need to pause for a second. This is unprofessional. This is called dead air. But a lot of people are laughing right now. So I need to pause. Go ahead. Wrap it up. Calm them. Okay, let's get back. Uh, Yes, I'm still high on Miami's future, but see, here's the thing about that. I'm I'm still standing behind exactly what I've said about Miami. Do you hear what I said? I'm standing behind what I've said about Miami and what I've said about Mario. Nothing's really changed on that front. So there is a chronic plague that has swept the internet ever since the advent of the internet. And it is, it has not been avoided by me. I have suffered it. And my opinion of Miami is like the frontier 
for this plague. And the plague is people hearing you say something that you did not say. It's chronic. And when it comes to me in Miami, it's a really, really bad problem. So there are droves of people, there's huge chunks of our audience that legitimately have heard me say Miami was going to win the ACC last year or this year. I know because I asked them earlier today when Miami lost the bowl game and a bunch of them came at me and said, what do you think about Mario now? What do you think about Miami now? I started asking person by person, what have I said that's been proven wrong? Well, not, not an individual game prediction. Like, obviously, no one's hitting a 1,000 on their game predictions. Overarching, 50,000 feet, man, long-term. What have I said about either Mario or Miami that's been proven wrong today or any other day? What have I said? So some guy comes at me and says, well, you said they were going to win the ACC last year, and that got proven wrong, to which I replied with my usual comeback when I know someone's full of it. I said, I will offer you $1,000 right now through Venmo if you can find me any evidence of that. We don't delete shows. We don't delete podcasts. Tweets don't get deleted. So anything I've said publicly is out there forever. They never come back. This guy never came back. He came back with, oh, oh, never mind. You said they were going to win the Coastal last year. Yeah, I did. So did Las Vegas. So it wasn't the most radical of opinions. Here is my opinion. I'll state it once again. For everyone in the room to hear, I'm high on Miami's future under Mario Cristobal. Here's exactly how I feel. Same as I've always felt. They're going to be a perennial top 10 recruiter. I think they will challenge for top five status every year in recruiting. Never said anything other than that. I challenge you to find me where I've said anything other than that. So I felt that way when he got hired. Believe it or not, after a bowl loss against Rutgers in late December, yes, friends, I still feel that way. I feel like the program is trending in the right direction, which I've said from the outset. Okay, so a lot of people may think that got proven wrong today. No, it didn't at all. They went five and seven the first year. They just won seven games this year. I think with today's loss, they finished seven and six. Next year's a question mark. Uh, that is the definition of trending up. Now, whether they're going to trend as high as a Miami fan wants them to, I don't know the answer to that. I never claim to know the answer to that. I'm telling you I think they're going to recruit exceptionally well, which they have and continue to do even to this moment. And I think that thus far, the program has trended up. Those are the two things I think. And that's pretty much what I've said. I've taken intentional care to not predict on-field results down the road or in the present day. What I've said is they'll have all the pieces they'll need. They'll have all the talent acquisition mechanisms at their disposal they'll need. And then what they do with it is a mystery. If you want to question the on-field decision-making of Mario Cristobal, I mean, I watched the Georgia Tech game just like you did. I watched the, the time mismanagement in the latter stages of this game today. The dude's not above reproach. You got, you got all the right in the world to question that stuff. That's fine. Totally fine. I never even pushed back on it. What I push back on is this notion that I've said something untrue about this program. I hadn't said anything untrue about this program. I just told you again what I think. Uh, their last two recruiting classes have been seventh and fourth. They're a top 10 portal recruiter. If they want to be every year, they can finish higher than that. They're going to have players. That's it. That's what I think. They're going to have players. And it is my belief, now if you want me to get a little speculative, it is my belief that 
far and away, the best team that he will have fielded so far down there will be the 2024 team. We don't know who's playing quarterback on that team yet because they're still in the market for one, which is just such a modern-day college football thing to say. But look, I know we got a lot of Florida fans watching this thing right now, and you guys are in silence right now for good reason. Stay that way for a little while. I know we got a lot of Florida State fans watching this thing right now. You're, you're aggravated that you got screwed out of a playoff spot. You took a lot of pleasure in watching this happen today because you know you're probably about to get skull drug in your bowl game. And so you came after me. It's fine. I don't mind that. Just be accurate when you do it. So my answer is, yeah, I still am high on Miami's future. But my definition of high is exactly what I just said. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, Jesse, please bookmark this segment because if my, if my senses are correct, I think we'll need to reference it very frequently in the coming year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I need to I need to do two things. First off, I need to thank Academy profusely because they make us able to deliver this show free of charge to you. Some would argue it's not worth anything more than zero dollars. That's a matter of opinion. It is a matter of fact that Academy keeps it free. They keep the lights on around here. I need to tell you, they came to us about a month ago, Jesse, I'd say about a month ago, and they said, just give some money away. Why not? It's Christmas season. Let's just give some money away. So they allowed us, they permitted us, to give away $150 Academy gift cards. Now, I gave those away in the manner that I saw fit. Here is one little problem that producer Jesse tells me that we're having. There are some unclaimed cards. So I am offering this one warning. This is like a... It's the one warning flare. Because that's all we have budget for is one flare around here. If you check your DMs and you have a DM from Pate State U, that is actually us. We just launched the account last week. That is us, though. So it may look a little sketch. In fact, it looks sketch half, but it is us. And so you need to go check because I have it on good authority that a few of you just have free money sitting there and you hadn't claimed it yet. And I have told producer Jesse, wait about 24 more hours, maybe 48. And if they don't claim it, then I don't know what we're, we're not going to give it to Bradley. I don't know what we're going to do with those cards. We may just toss them out of the window. We're 14 floors above downtown Nashville. So we may just toss them out the window and see what happens. Do these windows open? These windows don't open. We'll figure it out. So yeah, thank you to Academy. And now please do your part to accept the gift from Academy. Thank you very much. Let's talk about the transfer portal. And then I've got a bunch of stuff after that. A surprisingly jam-packed show for December 28th. A little sip of coffee. Because obviously the energy level is very low on the show tonight. 
Look, I just get worked up. Kinda. Um, this is not the start of the transfer portal segment yet. So inevitably, when we do a segment like I just did, some of our longtime hardcore viewers hate it because they get tired of me defending myself against, admittedly, uh, the fringe minority amongst us. But if you want me to be honest with you, it's kind of fun. And also, it's not just a problem we have on this show. Like, I think this about broadcasters all the time. We just had Joel Klatt and Greg McElroy and Joe Tessitore join us for extended conversations over the past week. And those are still on the channel if you want to go listen. I, I got incredible feedback. Well, about 95% incredible feedback. But the 5% that was negative obviously attracted my attention the most. And what I have noticed and what got reaffirmed to me looking at the feedback from those interviews is there is an alternate universe through which a lot of people hear broadcasts and hear people, period. And it is a very big problem. People can't listen. There are some people who just don't know how to listen. And so they hear things or think they hear things or they remember hearing things that never actually got said. And then instead of, instead of trying to recalibrate their memory and fact-checking and you know, doing these sorts of things that would be responsible, they just run their mouth. And it doesn't bother me so much, but I know some of these people are going to be overheard by other folks who have not themselves watched or listened to a show of ours. And that's how we get a bad rap. And my point with the broadcasters is there are folks who claim things about Joel Klatt that just aren't true. Like the dude's never said them. There are, there are folks who claim things about McElroy. I know for a fact aren't true. He, he's never said them. And in some cases, he said the opposite. And it doesn't matter. Those people just believe that stuff. Joe Tessitore uh, outside of Tallahassee, Florida, he largely escaped criticism. So congrats to Joe Tessitore. But look, even some of the criticism he faced, hey, he went down there. Tess went down to the Tallahassee quarterback club and just open mic night. They passed the mic around and he, he sparred with them. So that was entertaining to watch. Okay, now we can talk transfer portal. Walter Nolan is headed to Ole Miss. The last time you and I spoke, we thought he was going to go to Ole Miss. And the former five-star defensive lineman from Texas A&M has now landed at Ole Miss. This is a really unique window in the history of college football because it hasn't ever been this way before. It probably won't be this way for much longer. And that window is the window where you could just insert yourself into bidding wars pretty much every year if you want to. And let's just, let's just not beat around the bush about the fact that that's exactly what this was. Uh, this was an NIL recruitment out of high school. This was an NIL recruitment in the portal. Ole Miss has gone all in on this class. That's why Walter Nolan is in Oxford, Mississippi. Got no problem with it because it's legal right now. Uh, but that's what happened. I don't know that that's the way it's going to work five years from now. It certainly is not the way it worked five years ago. You can come back at me in the comments if you want to and say, Josh, you're telling me players never got paid? No. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it never worked this way. And if you... If you need that explained to you, then I probably need to go watch another show. I don't, I don't think uh, that, I don't think it's it's pretty radical to say no. I mean, guys weren't inserting themselves into a transfer portal after playing one or two years and then having an open bidding war for their services. No, that wasn't happening five or ten years ago. Yes, you had small amounts of money being exchanged in return for your services. Yes, everyone knows that. No, there's nothing that's even remotely comparable to what's happening right now in the history of college football. 
So what Ole Miss has done is they have taken advantage of the current climate and what is and isn't allowed, and they've locked down the number one overall player in the portal. They've locked down the number one and number two edge players in the portal. They've locked down the number three linebacker, number three wide receiver, number five corner. They've got a ton of talent, a lot of it defensive, coming in, and they got the number one overall class. And they've got, by SEC standards, a fairly manageable schedule next year. Will it happen? Keep in mind, they just won 10 games. And that's going to be expected to be the floor for that team next year. Will it happen? There are already uh, some wild and swinging thoughts about what Ole Miss is capable of this upcoming year. But since it's not even 2024 yet, this will not be the show where I offer my 2024 opinions on Ole Miss. I will, however some of this chapstick. Colin, did I show you this? When you go to New York or the orthodontist, uh, CBS in New York and the orthodontist are where they give away these mini chapsticks and they're delightful. Okay. Anyway, Damani Jackson, what's the latest here? So Damani Jackson's a former five-star corner. Of course, he played defense at USC, so no one has any clue how good he actually is. I mean, Kirby just took the DB coach from USC. So just because you have that USC defense stink on you doesn't mean that the best minds in college football couldn't still see something in you. And the reason I mention that is because, as you know, Damani Jackson in Los Angeles, California, where he has thus far played his college football, well, Alabama and Michigan happened to be out there today practicing for the Rose Bowl. Damani Jackson showed up to Alabama's practice today, was seen talking to Nick Saban, And Alabama's thought to be one of the contenders for his services. Now, I will tell you, both of those programs, Bama and Michigan, if those are the two it's down to, those programs are kind of cherry-picking the portal a little bit. Neither one of them is engaging in the bidding war structure that is the portal right now. Neither is Georgia to a large extent. Uh, Neither is Ohio State. They're just not doing it. Told you it was going to work that way two years ago. There was a fear that the big teams were just going to outspend everyone. Nope, not the way it's happening. They don't need to do it. It's not the way it's happening. Uh, But Damani Jackson is in a situation where he has underachieved from a production standpoint. He has NFL talent. He does not have NFL production. And you got to get serious at this point in your career. And you got to go to the place that can best prepare you. And whether it is Alabama or Michigan, I don't care if he goes to either one. Those are places uniquely equipped if he's got it on his side, to much better prepare him for a future on Sundays than where he has been. Um, number 26 overall player right now in the portal. I've, I've heard Alabama rumblings. I've heard Michigan rumblings. We'll see where that goes. I think, you know, you don't show up to Bama's practice today invited unless there's some smoke there. Uh, Bama did get LT Overton. So that's the other defensive lineman or defensive tackle, rather, which counts from Texas A&M. He was the number two overall D lineman in the portal, right behind Walter Nolan. 6'5", 265. Some of the feedback we got suggests you probably see some size put on him, and he's probably an immediate contributor next year. Or or they don't take you if they don't think you're going to be there, at least. So he's... I don't know. I I look at a lot of these A&M guys. I look at that 2022 class in general. That's worth doing a whole segment on in and of itself one day. But, I mean, a lot of these guys are going to be difference makers. Evan Stewart's in the portal. We're not even talking about him tonight. He's in the portal, the wide receiver. He's going to be a difference maker somewhere 
Uh, but LT Overton is, is already locked into Alabama. We've got him at 6'5", 280. He probably doesn't weigh that much right now. Uh, that's probably where Bama's going to want him in order for him to do what they'll want him to do. Georgia has made a couple of moves here. Uh, one of them was badly needed. Georgia had to have a running back. They went and got Trevor Etienne from Florida, which is not a move that I love at all. It's a good move for Georgia. I just hate the idea that you could ever go from Florida to Georgia or vice versa. That's the world we live in. I, I don't have to like it. I respect rivalries. I don't like anyone having played both sides of them. And when I'm college football commissioner, we may very well outlaw that. We'll see. Time will tell. 5.7 yards per carry last year. He had 21 receptions, too. I think Georgia could use him out of the backfield in the passing game a lot more than Florida did. Number one overall running back available in the portal. Again, a badly needed pickup for Georgia here. But they also got Colby Young. This one kind of flew under the radar. He was the number six wide receiver. He's big body, 6'5", 215 out of Miami. Had 47 receptions this year, 560 yards, five touchdowns. So two pickups at positions of need for Georgia. We'll see if they're done. Who knows? We'll see. Um, also, Malik Murphy, I mean, this one's a little old. I just haven't been able to talk to you about it. Malik Murphy went to Duke. Remember at Texas, a couple of games this year he had to start. And he didn't light the world on fire. He was turnover prone. So maybe still a little bit of a project as a player. 6'5", 238. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, there was a big market for him after spring, honestly. I mean, he shined in their spring game. A lot of folks need quarterbacks. He stayed put. And uh, that was all illegal, by the way. He never entered the portal. Yet there was a market for him. You do the math on that. But we're not here to... Uh, legislate morality in the transfer portal. Far be it for us to do that. No. What we are going to do is hat tip Manny Diaz, new head coach at Duke, for getting Steve Sarkeesian's backup quarterback. Uh, we are going to eternally shame the powers that be in college football for even making this have to happen this time of year. But this is not going to be another fix the college football calendar segment. Well, Riley Leonard's out. Riley Leonard's out. And so they had to have this. And I don't... Look, I don't know that I'm going to expect Malik Murphy to just light the world on fire right out of the gate this year. Okay, this is not a guy who has reached his potential as a quarterback and, and a multi-year starter, and you're getting a plug-and-play. He's not an automatic plug-and-play. He'll be their starter, but it's not a plug-and-play in the sense that you would uh, classically define that. So that's what's going on in the portal right now. Now, there is a lot of other things going on. There are a lot of other things going on in the sport, and i got to touch on a bunch of them here. There's your immunity. I got to touch on a bunch of them here. We had a lot of questions about Florida State's future. I mean, this is really up in the air right now. It's unfolding sort of as we speak. I think the future of Florida State is the future of college football. And what I mean by that is the, the direction the sport is taking right now. And there are a lot of theories about what the big changes coming are going to be. It's like Florida State is riding a frontage road that is parallel to that main road, and they're just craning the neck. Like, wherever you guys go, we got to go. We cannot be left behind. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've been uh, irresponsibly celebrating Christmas with your family instead of paying attention to off-field matters in college football, it's okay, because we are here for you. There was a board of trustees meeting last week down there, and they unanimously approved exploring breaking the grant of rights over there. A grant of rights, kids, for those unfamiliar, or adults, is where in 2013, after Maryland had jumped ship from the ACC, 
they got all the universities to sign over the rights to their games, essentially, to the conference. And then the conference negotiates with TV partners. Well, the conference decided to lock themselves into a deal with ESPN that runs through 2036. You know, the old 23-year guarantee. Hoops Amongst Us hasn't been there before. And it's a, it's a death wish. It's just a death sentence. It is a contract that, if adhered to, will ensure the complete collapse of Florida State football as a national brand and national program. They know that. Okay, it, it, it pays them, in many cases, less than half per year of what teams in the SEC and the Big Ten are going to get. Notice what I just said to you. Florida State will not just be making half of what Alabama or Georgia makes. They won't just be making half of what Ohio State or Michigan make. They'll be making half of what Indiana makes, half of what Vanderbilt makes. Why? Because they've got the right sticker on the back of their helmet, and you don't. They know they are a dead program walking if they stay in the ACC. So they got to fight to get out of that grant of rights. The estimates they put forth to break out of that thing, if they don't get any help and none of these lawsuits that they're filing uh, stand up is over half a billion dollars. It would cost them over half a billion dollars by their own estimation to get out of that thing. That's a lot of money. Okay, so what do I think about that? Well, you got one side that says, you guys signed the piece of paper. You signed your grant of rights. This is it. That's, that's the end. You don't, get, you don't get to just renege on it all of a sudden because you no longer like the terms of the piece of paper you signed. I can see the point. A lot of validity to that. And then there's the other side that says, idiots, are you not listening? Like the rest of the conference, are you not listening? We're all dead. We will cease to exist at the tier one head table of college athletics if we, if we go through with this. 2036, Bradley will be 60 by then. We cannot do this. And also, there is some question as to whether this is even enforceable. Now, it sounds enforceable based on how everyone tiptoes and walks on eggshells around this grant of rights, but no one's challenged it legally. Like, you're inside the paper bag. You don't know how fortified it is, or maybe it's just soggy wet and one good punch would get you out of it. No one's ever had a judge weigh in on this stuff. So they are fingers crossed hopeful that they can get out of that thing. Here's my thought. My thought, my advice, if you live down in Ocala, you know, or you live in Daytona Beach and you're a big Florida State fan is breathe. And I've been telling you guys that for two weeks now. Breathe. You need to go 50K feet on this. Don't get into the weeds of needing updates every day because this is going to be a multi-year deal or process. Your, your grant of rights is a multi-year deal. It's going to be a multi-year process. You do not know. I do not know. Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti, SEC and Big Ten commissioners, they do not know what this sport's going to look like in two years. You know, so nothing is, nothing is etched in stone right now. There's a lot of fog out there. So don't think that you're just headed towards the edge of a cliff no matter what. No, your situation is not good, but it's also not like skull and crossbones time yet. However, I'd go 50,000 feet on this just because I'm going to apply common sense and logic. My common sense and logic acquired from an untold amount of years wandering this earth is there's no version of major college football in the foreseeable future that does not include Florida State at the head table. I've really struggled to see that. 
Now, if you pressed me for particulars on how they're going to accomplish that, I cannot give them to you right now. I'm just saying the same way I would any of a number of random situations that could pop up in life. I'm just telling you things will work out. There's too much at stake here for it not to. Things will work out. Now, you might remember on this program, oh, I'd say about two years ago, we had a big kerfuffle, a big to-do about this upstart golf league. It was called Live. Yes, we've heard of that since then, haven't we? And why were they the devil? Well, they, uh, they got in bed with the Saudis. And you cannot do that. You cannot do that. That is blood money. You cannot accept that. I don't really care what you think about that one way or the other. It happened. It is happening. It's in the process of happening. And I said, hmm, we in the college football world are watching this over on the other side of town saying, what? Isn't that the darndest thing? And I was looking around our own house, our own college football house. Wow, we've got, we've got a conference out on the West Coast in peril. Uh, you would know that as the Pac-12. It has since dissolved into the Pacific. And then we've got individual programs like a Clemson or like a Florida State who really want out of their current situation bad. They just don't have enough money. And so you can either do one of two things in those kinds of situations. You can sit there and kick your can around and be sad and mope and just bite the bullet and accept reality. Or you can go find the money. And there is no shortage of suitors. Well, there's a shortage, but there, there, there is a line. Okay, there are suitors available out there. You may not have half a billion dollars. But there are people who do have half a billion dollars. And I've always been of the opinion that private equity and private financing could find its way into being part of the solution to this problem. By solution, I simply mean the place where the money comes from. I'm not casting any kind of negative or positive light on it. I'm just saying where the money could come from. And I am of the opinion, whether it's Saudi Arabia or some tech company down in Orlando, I'm of the opinion that there is a grand opportunity here for someone to own a college football program. And in the Pac-12's case, I thought there was a grand opportunity for someone to, in a de facto manner, own a conference. If you come forth with the check, then you own the conference. You own the program. That's not what the contract says, necessarily. Uh, but, but in reality, that's the case. Now, you may ask yourself and you may ask me, Josh, what sense would it make for someone to own a conference or own a college football program? Like, what, what's their return? Well, their return is in marketing. That brand means a whole lot. Your attachment to that brand could mean a whole lot. In exchange for that little contribution, that little nine-figure contribution of yours would come with it strings. And the strings can say whatever you want them to say. You may want decision-making powers over that university, over that athletic department, over that specific program. Or, you know, you may want things like unlimited signage on game days to promote whatever it is you want to promote. You may want guaranteed airtime to promote whatever it is on the conjoined networks that you are affiliated with, with, with whatever promotion you want. All kinds of different little odds and ends could be accomplished there. Anyway... Of course, I'm not speaking with guided knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes. That, that doesn't sound like me at all. I'm just saying there are many ways to skin this cat. You guys don't have to start GoFundMe uh, half a billion dollars just yet. There are ways to get out of this thing. I think it'll work itself out. It's going to be okay. 
Maybe just not in 2023, but it's going to be okay. They're watching us in Seattle, Washington. They're watching us in El Paso, Texas, and Wilmington, North Carolina. Thank you so much. I went and I did something pretty irresponsible the other day. I had some free time on my hands, picked up my iJosh, went on one of the socials, and I said the following. What's the most radical college football opinion you hold? And I got a lot of answers, and I'm going to share some of them with you here. Like I told you at the beginning of this show, I've got one. Maybe I'll tell you down the road, maybe I won't. I just I think it'll be a waste of time, because I know no one's going to agree with me, and you won't even hear me through on it. I know, because I've already tried it on several people. You know what? I will share the opinion one day. Not right now, but one day, I will share the opinion. It's, it's rad- I will grant you, it's pretty radical. I've given it to, uh, I think, four people so far, and they have gotten, they've got, I've gotten nowhere with them. So here's what you gave me. We'll, we'll go with the first one here. So, Colin, here's your end point on this. I asked you for your most radical college football opinions, and here's one we got. Big Ten defenses are ranked so high because it's a conference of trash offenses. Well, that's a pretty harsh allegation. Also entirely accurate. And so we dug a little bit on this today statistically. This is not a radical opinion, okay? Uh, it's pretty, pretty spot on. Big Ten defenses just feasting on trash offenses. That's, that's a little offensive to offenses. Uh, is it really, though? I mean, look, we can either believe one of two things here. We can either believe that Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa are literally the top four defenses in college football, all things equal, or we can believe all things aren't equal. Now, these are not bad defensive outfits. No one on this show is suggesting otherwise. But the offenses in the Big Ten largely sucked water through a garden hose this year. So it is not the biggest stretch in the world to suggest maybe, maybe some of these defensive numbers got inflated just a touch. The best Big Ten offense this year. You want to know what it was? It's spoiled for you if you're watching on YouTube right now. But I kid you, it's going to sound like a joke. That's why I'm telling you, I kid you not. If you're listening on podcast, in terms of points per game, what do you think the best Big Ten offense was this year? It was Penn State. Again, I'm not kidding you. Penn State was the best Big Ten offense in points per game this year. I watched, I stood on the field, friends, and I watched them be completely inept and hopeless against Ohio State and Michigan. Think about how bad this is. Even with those games baked into the sample size, they were still the best offense in the Big Ten. Big Ten offenses were bad this year. They were very bad. Uh, Here's another fun exercise while we're at it. Name me the Big Ten quarterbacks this year. Name them. And, And, you know, give a pause when you come across a name that strikes fear in the hearts of defensive coordinators. We had Kyle McCord, we had Drew Aller, uh, Talia Tonga-Vailoa had a, you know, a few moments this year. J.J. McCarthy, down the stretch, did nothing of note, at least statistically. Now, he did what it took to win, and so that's all that matters if you're a Michigan fan. But if we're talking about inflating defensive statistics, yeah, I think that greatly contributed. Here's one more. I asked Jesse, hey, yards per game. Let's just start scrolling through all the stats. We had points per game. How about yards per game? Where did Big Ten offenses rank this year? Ohio State was the best one. That much I'll give you. You want to guess, out of 133 teams, Ohio State being the best the Big Ten had to offer in terms of yards per game, you want to guess where they ranked nationally? 15? No. 
25? No. 36th. That's how far down the national rankings you have to go for the Big Ten to even check in. So you want to suggest to me that the Big Ten having the top four defenses in college football may have had a little something to do with the offensive ineptitude of that conference. I'm going to go ahead and give that two thumbs up. That's not radical. That's probably just reality. Next up, it's a fun game. It's a fun game because I don't have to present the opinions. I can just agree with them. And therefore, if you have a problem with it, it's, there you go. It's really not on me. Andrew hit us up with his radical college football opinion. He said the BCS, while having its own drawbacks, was a much better system than the college football playoff committee. Fact, fact, fact. And Andrew, keep it up, Colin. Excuse me, never mind immunity. Andrew said exactly how he should have phrased it. He said the BCS, despite having its drawbacks, was still better than the current system we have. So he didn't say it was perfect. Because normally when you try and make this argument of, I prefer BCS over what we have today, people will go back and say, oh man, what about Auburn in 04 though? Like, what about this team that got screwed or this anecdotal example of that team that got left out? It's not without drawbacks. It wasn't a perfect system. But man, if you're 14 years old right now and you really didn't live in that era and you only know the playoff era, uh, you guys have lived in a world where meaningless bowl game has just been a phrase like the sky is blue. It's always existed. But it didn't always exist, little kiddo. It didn't always exist that way. There was a time where even if you were just a seven-win team and you barely made it into the Gator Bowl, that was a huge celebratory point. No one opted, opt-outs weren't a thing. Okay, and this is not in the 1930s. This is in color. It's not just in black and white. This is a pretty recent thing. As, as recently as like 10 and 11 and 12, there were no opt-outs. And yeah, you had a BCS championship game and there was a lot of attention paid to it, and rightfully so. But also, you had, you had other games in the BCS rotation. You didn't have a committee of people whose college football credentials were in some cases questionable at best. If you got screwed, it was because of a computer. And I get screwed by computers all the time, man. The, the model is doing terribly in betting bowl games right now. So I know what it's like to get screwed by a computer. Yeah, it happened, but it was so much more fun. I'm not romanticizing this. Some people are going to come back at me and say, oh, you're just romanticizing the past. Oh, it was much better now than it was then. No, it was, no it's not. No, it's not. It, not saying it's bad now. I'm just saying it was better then. And I think that sentiment along these lines has been as popularized in the last two years as it ever has been. Like if you would have said in 2015, give me the BCS over what we've inherited, you would have gotten shouted down. Now that people have gotten 10 years worth of the playoff under their belt and what the playoff has meant for the greater good of the sport, all of a sudden it's not so radical anymore to say, you know what, while it was a little flawed, I'd much prefer the BCS. I've always felt that way. I have just become very, very encouraged with how many people have come over to our side of the fence on this. That was a good one, though. Next up, what do we have? I think we're doing three of these tonight. I got a whole treasure trove full of these. Don't worry. This is going to be our January, basically. Joe hit me with his radical college football opinion, and that one is pretty radical. I got to admit to you. He said bowl games would be better in August than December. 
Now that requires a stroke of the mustache that I do not have because it would be blonde and look pretty white trashy. Um, this right here is pretty radical. It's a concept that sometimes gets thrown around because of the current status of bowls. You got a bunch of people opting out. You have no clue what to expect. Um, it's just that bowls have lost their luster. And I don't really even think that's an opinion. I mean, there's no way you watch bowl season now and think it's as great as it used to be. You can still love bowl season because I do. Like I love bowl season. I still watch every single game. But even I, you know, a bowl absolutist cannot ignore the fact that something's been taken away from bowl season. Uh, They're called players. Players have been taken away from bowl season. And so there have been some questions about what you can do to save bowl season. And there, there are concepts, like I've always been a big proponent of a revenue share system that incentivizes participation in bowl games. It's that simple. Pay the players. That's cold, hard cash is probably the best idea. But in lieu of that, or, or maybe in conjunction with that, I don't know, you could uh, enter into a revenue sharing program in the future uh, with a stipulation that participation in every one of your team's games, unless you're injured, is required for you to get your slice of that revenue sharing pie. But how do you avoid uh, players faking injuries to get out of bowl games? I don't know. Uh, Here is one way that you can do it, though. You can just, in your expanded playoff, let those be the games that exist in December. And you take the bowl game that you otherwise would have been in, Miami versus Rutgers, for example, Take that thing from December 28th and put it on the first week of next year. Mind you, this is certainly an imperfect and flawed concept. There are 37 different problems with this. There is no perfect solution. We're trying to find the best of a bad situation right now. That would provide you just an amazing conglomeration of -of out-of-conference games to open the season. A lot of folks do that anyway. Everyone should do it. Uh, It would... It would kind of tie the seasons together. Like there would be a bridge, in other words. Something that happened last year would affect next season. We would also be watching a schedule release in real time. Like the bowl selection process also wouldn't have to happen in December. The bowl selection process, and this is literally coming in my mind as we're doing the segment right now, um, you you could have that process happen in February we got to pause. It's rare, but sometimes I do have a light bulb moment live. When I'm college football commissioner, if we do decide via popular college football public vote to move the bowl season from December to week one of next year, we will have a bowl selection special in February. Right before you open spring practice, we will have the bowl selection special and you will find out who your week one opponents are at that point. I think it's a pretty good idea. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll take some feedback on that. But no, this is not a perfect system. And, and also, here's the biggest flaw with it, obviously. The teams that earned that status, like that Miami team or, or this Georgia team, those aren't the teams that exist the next year. So you can have a great team that locked up a really prestigious bowl game against a marquee opponent, and then they all graduate or they go to the draft and you're a shell of your former self, and it's that team that plays a premier opponent to start week one of next year. Look, that's the way it is. Half of y'all are opting out now anyway in the season in which you played. So stop opting out, and this won't be a problem. But until then, 
we got a little bit of a dilemma on our hands, and I'm watching the games anyway. I'm fine with it. But if enough people have a problem with opt-outs, then short of revenue-sharing programs, which still won't totally eliminate the problem, because I'm not sure you can distribute enough revenue to offset the money a player thinks he's preserving by not playing in a bowl game, thus protecting his draft stock, which is in the seven-figure and eight-figure range. Short of doing that... Uh, there is a legit conversation to be had for moving that thing to week one of next year. Not perfect, but it is a radical idea. I got two things I need to tell you right quick, and we're not done yet. I still have, actually, I still have a whole nother segment to go. So I, I was talking to our buddies at FanDuel over the Christmas break, and I said, we need a couple things. Number one, we want the promo back because I've gotten feedback from you guys. Some of you didn't get to do the promo. Bet $5 on anything to get $150 in bonus bets. Okay, so I can announce to you tonight, that's back. That is starting tomorrow, Friday at noon Eastern. That promo will be live again. We're good on that. But since I was feeling very aggressive, because we got that granted pretty easily, I said, okay, well, how about this? You guys want me to bet a parlay? I mean, it's, it's been the lifelong dream of my friends over there at FanDuel. Let's get them to bet a parlay. And thus far, I have resisted. But I said, you know what? It's been fun this year. I look forward to a fruitful 2024. Okay, I'll bet one parlay. However, I want better odds than what you're giving me. And if I do this, I want the same odds that you're going to give me given to everyone who bets this thing. So we got it. We got it. Here's what I have arranged with our friends at FanDuel. You need to pay very close attention because I'm only saying this once. I am taking Iowa State on the money line. None of that spread nonsense. I'm taking Iowa State on the money line, and I'm taking Missouri on the money line. Iowa State plays Memphis. Missouri plays Ohio State. Jesse, when do these games happen? The first. Okay, these are New Year's Day games. I'm taking Iowa State money line. I'm taking Missouri money line. I am parlaying those. Right now, that would be a plus 205 return, which essentially means if you bet $100 and it hits, you win $205. Pretty simple. Um, I'm not accepting those odds. So they are boosting this for us. And we will find out exactly how much we can get it boosted in the morning, but it's going to be substantially higher than plus 205. I can tell you that. 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow. You go to FanDuel. You look right under that boost tab. This will be live. Keeping it kind of low key right now. I'm not, I'm not really announcing this to the world, but I'm letting you know on the show, I am going to ride with this. It is the first parlay that I will have bet all year. It's a money line parlay. Uh, Iowa State Memphis is Friday, actually. Missouri and Ohio State Friday. Okay, so yeah, those are tomorrow. Yeah, so, so pay close attention. Those are tomorrow. As I'm talking to you Thursday night, those are tomorrow. You go over there tomorrow morning. 9 a.m. Eastern time, you look under that boost tab, that'll be live, and I'll have you much better odds than what the house is offering the rest of the free world. And those are the conditions under which I have decided to bet a parlay. You're welcome in advance. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Next up. We've got to revisit probably the overall favorite segment that we do all year. At least it's my favorite, and you guys love it. I see the traffic. Um, this is that part of the show. Let me take a sip from the, uh, from the old nondescript coffee cup right quick and make the whale noise. This is the part of the show where I go back to August, and I look at your best and worst predictions, and we call them out for exactly what they ended up being. For example, this first one was a tough one. This is really tough. Uh, this was from Blaze, and he said two ACC teams will make the college football playoff. Hashtag book it. Well, uh, hashtag crash and burn fiery death. Like this was this was a this was a really really dead on arrival prediction after week one because in week one you remember what we had happen, kids. We had Clemson uh, really kind of get put in a locker by Duke. Turnovers everywhere. It was gross. And Florida State, now, they did their part. They beat LSU, but as it turned out, Florida State was going to go undefeated, win the conference, and the committee was going to say, nope, still not enough. This conference was never producing two playoff teams. Louisville ended up being the next highest ranked team, and they were 15th. So, I mean, the ACC had the number five team and the number 15 team, and NC State was number 18. Uh, that That was a miss. That was a miss. Next up, this is probably the most painful miss out of the entire batch, at least the ones that I've seen. I mean, Edward from Fairhope, Alabama, he just put it out there. He said Auburn will win at least one of their games against Bama and Georgia. Oh, let's take you back. The Iron Bowl, Auburn leads with 30 seconds to go, and then fourth and 31 happens. And Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond, just it's like reaching in someone's chest, ripping their heart out, holding it above you, and the blood drips down on your white t-shirt. That was what it was like watching the Iron Bowl. I know, because I watched it in Detroit International Airport. So that's what happened later in the year. Auburn ends up not winning that one somehow. Earlier in the year, remember the Georgia game? Remember when they were tied with Georgia with about six minutes left to go in that game? And also lost. They ran for 219 yards on Georgia. They ran for 244 yards on Alabama. And yet, this prediction does not hit. The Jordan-Hare magic, it made the games close, but it did not produce a win. And so, Edward, I hate this. I'm going to whisper the following sentence, but swing and a miss. 
But that was what bold predictions were all about. That's, that's a good bold prediction. Uh, next up, this is a terrible prediction. Okay, for, fifth quarter BYU from Gilbert, Arizona. This is just not the way it's done, friend. Penn State loses five regular season games and finishes behind Maryland in their division. This had no shot. No shot. They lost both of the big games. Okay, they lost Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. They had one other game that was even close, and that was Indiana. And even if they lost that one, you still would have needed two more losses, and they won every other game by double digits. This had no shot. It's a terrible bold prediction. Terrible. I appreciate the participation, but that was a terrible bold prediction. Now, this next one I thought was a little, little bit of stretch, and it ended up hitting. So now that's, this is a wrist pop on my part because we got this from Thomas from Jackson, Alabama. Tom, or Thomas said, Ole Miss will win 10 or more games. Well, you know what? They did. They did. And I put this at a 9.25 on the boldness scale. And Thomas dunked on me. So the preseason over-under win total was 7.5 for Ole Miss. And it was my opinion that they had just won uh, big the year before. And all of a sudden, I thought people were like setting the floor way too high for Ole Miss football. And they weren't a top five recruiter. Yeah, they had portaled some guys in. But like I didn't think they had the foundation of a roster to just go out there and, and throw 10 wins on you again, I thought their schedule would be tough. Uh, thought it would be a little bit tougher than it ended up being. But I had doubts. And they silenced them. And um, they lost to Georgia. And they lost to Alabama. <laughs> those were the only two losses. And those were the two SEC championship game participants. Otherwise, Lane Kiffin, perfect. They got Penn State two nights, two, two days from now, I think it's an early game, in the Peach Bowl. And that's how they'll wrap up their season. If they beat Penn State and they're an 11-2 and two team and they got that portal class coming in, oh, that wide receiver room's nasty. That wide receiver room is going to be disgusting next year. I don't think you've seen hype in a long time like you will see around Ole Miss football. Like I remember, oh, it was the Jevin Sneed year, um, it's like 05, 07, somewhere like that. There was a ton of hype around Ole Miss, and it didn't, it didn't end up panning out. But, I mean, you don't really see the preseason hype machine around Ole Miss a whole lot, but it's about to be there. It's about to be there big time. Okay, we went an hour and six minutes tonight. Very happy with it. At Lake Kick Josh, you got to be following. Instagram is going to be wonderful. I mean, we're going to be in Los Angeles for four days. But perhaps I'll go to Rodeo Drive as my friends back home say. Perhaps I will. Whomst knows. But we will have a lot to be seen out there, and I'm looking very much forward to that. And then we're going to Houston for the national championship game, and I have got it on good authority that a, um, an acquaintance of the program, dare I say, a friend of the program who also happens to be employed by this great company of ours, will be joining us there. And that's as specific as I'd like to get. It's not Jesse. So in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you like the video. Do all of those things. I appreciate you guys. It's been an incredible 2023. We will be on the West Coast this time tomorrow and looking forward to coverage from Pasadena leading up to Monday night. Until then, for Director Colin, Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your weekend, and God bless.
must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.